We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. We're talking running back production in relation to ADP, Leonard Fournette, Aaron Rodgers, and a whole lot more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome on Into Roto-Viz Radio, brought to you by ffb cast in the ffpc i'm dave cabin senior fantasy analyst at rotoviz matt has returned from texas how was the trip matt uh it was okay you know texas was warm as usual um but you know it's my dad's birthday and my sister was in town so it was a pretty good trip nice uh glad to hear it uh we managed to make do with you gone last week but the people have been eagerly anticipating your return so let's just start things right off here um in relation to 2019, if you could choose your draft your draft slot this season, which pick are you taking and why? So last year, I think the even if it didn't work out, the pick that was probably most desirable was number four, um, because I think there was kind of this clear top tier of four running backs. Um, so you could kind of have the best of both worlds uh, by still getting a premium running back, but then having a higher pick in the second round. 
And I think it's probably still a similar situation like that this year where there's this top tier of running backs. And if you have the chance to grab one of them, I think it probably makes sense to do that. Um, And then after that, uh, if you don't grab a running back in the first round, it's not as if you're kind of like stuck in this no man's land, but you just kind of have to decide when it is that you are going to take your first running back. Um, I think it's a lot easier to ignore the running back position if you have a top four pick um, and hammer wide receivers after grabbing your first running back. So I think it's probably still pick four. Yeah, I'm actually in the same place with you as though I probably prefer Barkley or McCaffrey to um, Elliott and Kamara. I still view them all like in pretty much the same tier. So, uh, you know, grab one of them. Then you're just a couple picks earlier when things come back around. And even at four, you're still fairly close to the corner, which I like. Um, as I find it is an easier way for me to determine how I'm going to go about building my team during the draft. So when we are drafting in the main event, then I guess that we'll be hoping that we land somewhere between pick one and four, although it could be slightly different as I would be okay if we end up at maybe spot 11 or 12 and somehow Travis Kelsey hangs around and we're able to grab him and then maybe one of the remaining running backs or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. One question I have for you is, and I think this is kind of like a maybe a big question in general. Um, do you still consider David Johnson someone who is top tier? Um, it didn't really work out for him last year, but I think he had an underrated season last year. Like he was still, you know, a guy with was it like fourteen hundred scrimmage yards and still had ten touchdowns in a worst case scenario type of offense. Um, I think like that actually makes me a little more interested in him. And I'm wondering if he still kind of fits into like a, the top tier, like maybe he's secretly kind of like a top five guy, but people are thinking of him as someone who isn't in the same class as a uh, Camara or Zeke or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, McCaffrey or Barkley. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can make a very strong case that he is. As, as you said, last season, which we view as uh, many people even viewed as a disastrous season, where and under some scoring methods, he still finished uh, top 10. I think in most leagues, he was probably around 11. And that was a season in which he was being used entirely incorrectly, often being you know run straight up the middle, not getting the usage as a receiver that he should have. However, I think that the one thing that is different between Johnson and those other players is there are fewer assumptions that we have to make about the team that they are in at large. I guess you could kind of push back on that with Barkley, but with the coaching change, even though I do think it's going to be very positive, I just think that it's hard to say with certainty that I can group him in with those four other players. But I think there is a compelling case to be made that he should be the first player that you pick outside of those four due to the upside. Uh, And actually, we talked about this last week in the Rotoviz rankings that we have on the site. Johnson is right on that fringe of getting grouped into our RB1 tier. Uh, But I have him just sitting a little bit outside with Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I think he's in kind of this tier of himself. And that's it. Like... He's like the transitionary piece between that first tier and that second tier. And I think if you 
are uncomfortable, and I'm saying like you, I'm just saying like you, the listener, if you're uncomfortable with not taking a running back in the first round, um, but you end up with anywhere from like picks six to eight, and David Johnson is still there, like I think he's a pretty acceptable player to pick, given that like I think he does have that upside of being a, a top five guy at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. Um, so then the the question kind of becomes, do you prefer a DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams, maybe even a Juju Smith-Schuster over David Johnson? And that probably depends on the specifics of the league that you're playing in. And to some degree, the actual pick in which you're going to be selecting him uh, as... You know, if it's going to be within the first 12 picks, you're going to have an idea of what you're going to get on your next pick when things come around, which might shape that decision. Yeah, um, I don't know. I haven't really decided yet as to whether I, I want Hopkins or <laughs> Juju versus David Johnson. Like I I have them all kind of in the same spot. Um, so I guess it's sort of like whichever one would fall to me. Uh, depending on where I am, if I have my choice out of all of them, man, I'm, I'm super high on Juju and that's probably going to be a conversation we have to have. Like I, I would, I would probably take him above David Johnson. Um, but I don't know yet. Yeah. I, I like Juju. I I mean, I'll just, I, right now I have Juju number one at wide receiver. Yeah. I think that I could very possibly end up with that. I still have to decide between Hopkins, Adams, and Juju, and there's some reasons for that with the three of them. Once I work through my full set of projections, we'll know why. I mean, I think with Hopkins, it comes down to just that we've been we've seen him flourish with a number of quarterbacks. Obviously, with Watson there, he set up really well. Uh, should have a really high target volume. With Adams, you can certainly make the case that he could easily lead the league in targets. And then Juju, with this whole new opportunity opened up. And the fact that he's just an exceptionally young receiver that has already developed so much. Um, I have felt really good about him at points. I have had him first. So, you know, I think that uh, like you, I could end up with him number one. So we definitely have some conversations to have there. We want to tell you about an up-and-coming fantasy football company called FFBCast. FFBCast records custom podcasts for your fantasy league. They have an ongoing special for their draft recap episodes. One of their hosts will break down your league's draft, critique poor decisions, shower praise on those who earn it. And this year, they've added ADP check-ins with Denny Carter. Denny will give his two cents on where players are drafted relevant to their ADP. FFBCast provides many options when it comes to covering your fantasy league. They have quick clips episodes that uh, are a video option where FFBCast will live stream the recording on their Twitch channel, all while displaying your league's webpage. Uh, They have weekly recap episodes as well that start week one of the season. It's just a really cool way to keep your league members engaged and just add to the level of fun, especially as you can hire industry experts to make guest appearances on your podcast, which really just brings the whole experience to another level. Uh, So definitely check them out at FFBCast on Twitter. They're also on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Then head over to FFBCast.com today for your league's very own custom podcasts. So a couple of weeks ago, Matt, I alluded to uh, the drop-off that I had seen historically in running back production after round two. 
uh, I went back and pulled some data on this to recalibrate for what we've seen over the last season or two. And the numbers have somewhat changed given these past two seasons, but I thought that we could talk about it um, in the context, not only of our team, but I think of just uh, what the general drafter should be thinking about when they're using their first maybe six or eight picks on running backs. So I will read through uh, this data kind of in chunks, and then you can give your thoughts. So what I did was I pulled um, ADP from 2010, broke out um, players into a, a couple of different buckets, mainly by round. I removed players that had an injury that occurred before the season or were that suspended. So a player like Jarek McKinnon last year got removed or... Um, Ray Rice was suspended a season, pulled him out, you know, players like that. Uh, and what we see is the average points that running backs are scoring from round one are 224 since 2010. Round two, 198. Round three, 159. Round four, 153. Then we make a, a bit of a jump down to the 115 range in round five, 137 in round six, 119 in round seven, round eight, 122. Round nine, it does go up to 150, uh, but I would be careful about reading into much to that to think that that means you know maybe after round eight, you start targeting them again, expecting big things. I think you would start targeting running back again for different reasons. But just when you hear those numbers, does that fall into what you would have expected? And does that kind of shape some of how you would want to approach the position this year? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I would say like generally that is the trend I would expect. And I would a trend I mean I would expect a, a trend basically like that for a lot of the positions. Um but I, I actually do want to think a little bit about what's happening in round nine. And it's not all that surprising and maybe it's a little anecdotal, but um you know I think the rounds of like one through four, you you typically there are targeting guys who are pretty locked in to their positions um, as running backs, you know, three down guys, guys who are, you know, kind of the clear leaders in a committee. And then I think in rounds five through eight, historically, you've seen a lot of guys who are maybe the lead back in their committee, but it's like they don't have a stronghold on the position. Um or they're really not talented players. Like there's something wrong with those guys. They are, you know, sort of like quote unquote starters or lead backs, but there's a reason why they're being drafted in rounds five through eight instead of rounds one through four. Um, but then I think after that type of player is where you start to see the upside running back being drafted. Um, and like, I imagine that if we went on more of a granular level and looked at the, like the actual players who were drafted in round nine, we would start to see guys like that. I would imagine maybe like rookies or second or third year guys who have been talented, but haven't been able to seize control of their backfield yet. Um, and then they're able to do that. And they break out in a, a way that is, I wouldn't say it's not, it's not unexpected. It's like you could have expected them to do it if you had known that they were going to get the opportunity just because of the, the type of upside talented players that they are. So like I, I'm imagining that there will come a point in the draft where like we will want to think about, okay, like we're at the tier where 
basically like the LaShawn McCoys of the world are gone. And now we have guys like David Montgomery or Richard Penny or like whoever it is that we think is an upside guy who realistically could seize control of his backfield. Um, Daryl Henderson, right? Like whoever it is, like there are going to be guys kind of in that general draft range. And I think those are the guys who end up having this outsized production that kind of bucks the trend, but it, it makes sense within the, the landscape of the running back position and how people draft it. Yeah. So I think that that is definitely apparent when you start looking through some of these players, you see a player like Duke Johnson in 2017 with 216 fantasy points or Jeremy Hill in 2014 with 210, a season in which it would have looked like it was going to be all Giovanni Bernard heading into the season. And then you have a player like Devonta Freeman at 316 uh, back in 2015. So a lot of what you're seeing, as you said, is players who managed to become the leading running back in their offense, and then that kind of catapults them into some of these ranges, whereas the guys that were drafted before are going to be the players that they, in effect, replaced. So, if yeah, yeah. I, I think that's perfectly stated. Okay, thank you. So, the other, the other component to this, too, that I, I wanted us to look at was um, the percentages of players that went over different thresholds as, as listeners have probably realized by now i really like looking at things in thresholds so the round one players 46 percent of round one running backs drafted since 2010 have gone for 240 or more points which if that doesn't sound like a pretty high hit rate it should that's actually a little bit higher than i might have guessed you move down around two, it already lowers to 28%. Round three and round four, it's 12%. And then after that, you're lucky if you get above like four and a half percent. So that's where you start to see too the the differentiating factor between the running back selected in the first two rounds. If you're looking for a player that can truly anchor your team, produce every week, and be a top fantasy player. At the running back position, it's rare that that comes outside of the first two rounds. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the argument for modified zero RB, where you do go with a running back in round one to try to anchor your team, uh, and then you attack the position pretty vigorously after that tier of players who are just kind of like nobodies has been drafted. I want nobodies is the wrong word, but like those guys who are the low upside starters who aren't going to make a difference on your team. You let everyone else take those guys and then starting wherever it is, rounds nine, 10, whatever, you start to attack the guys with upside. Um, because I mean, as this table shows, uh, 10% of the running backs drafted in round nine have had 240 or more fantasy points. Whereas you look at round eight, round seven, round six, like, yeah, like you don't approach that number. Even round five, you don't approach that number. Um, so, I mean, again, like I think, I mean, this uh, historical information like this, it's, there's always like the question of how relevant is it to any given season, but uh, I think it's fairly relevant. So, yeah, I would say... I would be inclined to want to take a running back in round one, 
um, and then maybe bypass the position for a little bit and go after it later in the draft. Yeah, and then just to fill out some of the information here. So if you look at 200 plus, round one is 63%, round two, 49, three, 26%, round four, 29%, five, 8%, round six, 24%, round seven, 8%, round eight, 18%. And again, we see a jump uh, round nine with 20%. And then if you're looking at the 150 plus round one running back, 75% round two, 72% round three, 52% round four, 50%. We drop down at five to 31, 38 in round six, 33 in round seven, 29% in round eight in a very interesting number, 50% of round nine backs going for 150 or more points. The cool thing about that is it is a percentage, right? So it's not getting inflated by a player like Devonta Freeman, who actually absolutely smashes, goes over 300 points. Um, it really does support the fact that there are players available in later rounds at the running back position who historically have been just as good as those players that you're taking in rounds three to eight. And this data doesn't necessarily mean that the cutoff is right at round nine. It's not a steadfast rule and things certainly will vary by season, but it does support what we're getting at here, which is if you want to increase your odds of having a solid running back core, if the direction you want to take your team is one that's built around a solid one or two backs, you really need to go after those guys early as opposed to later. And I also think it speaks to why a running back heavy approach might not be as optimal as some would, would, would assume. And then to break it down a little bit more, if you look at round one, the average round one back 233 points versus pick seven through 12, 212 points. And then the thresholds, there actually is a difference. 51% of running backs drafted in picks one through six go above 240, 68 over 200, 78 over 150, as opposed to with the pick seven through 12 backs, just 39% over 240, 57% over 200, 71% over 150. Uh, and 13 through 18, your average drops down to around 220% go over 240. And at 19 to 24, 33% do. The average there is 197. So the 13 through 24 backs are all pretty similar, but we do see a differentiation between those top six backs or players, not top six backs, running backs drafted with the first six picks. So that's interesting because it does kind of speak to the fact that with these very early round selected running backs, drafters do seem to do a better job than with the other positions. Hi, Rotoviz fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Well, it may be the off-season for most people. It definitely is not for our listeners or for the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season. Drafts are forming daily starting at just a $35 entry fee. They have become the home of dynasty players. 
They are the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players now with almost 300 active Dynasty leagues. They start at $77. They even have a $5,000 entry Dynasty league. Not a single league has folded in nine years, which is really impressive. Uh, don't miss the FFPC experience. Rotoviz listeners, go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Last week, Matt, I was talking about Leonard Fournette briefly, and I wanted to get your take on him. He'll be entering his third season last year, played in just eight games, 133 attempts, 439 yards, five touchdowns, did get 22 receptions on 26 targets and a touchdown. Didn't feel like that great of a campaign in those games that he had, but he still averaged 15 PPR points per game as a rookie averaged 17.7, went over 1,000 yards, had nine touchdowns, rushing one touchdown as a receiver. He's currently going as the RB14. Do you think that drafters should be going after him earlier than that or later? Or is that price about right? I think that's about right. Um, I think one of the questions, and it's, I think, really hard to answer this, is just how many games is he going to play? Um, You know, for his two seasons in the NFL, he's missed games for a number of issues, injuries, but then also he's been suspended. Uh, He's had ankle issues going back to his final season at LSU. So, um, I mean, this is a position where players tend to be a little more fragile anyway, uh, or not fragile, but they just, they suffer injuries at a higher rate than they do in other positions. So I don't think it's unfair to think that on average or for like a median outcome, like he might miss like two to two and a half games. Um, and there's like on top of the injury risk, like there are several other risks associated with him. Like one is that like his offense could be bad, even though they have presumably a better offensive coordinator and a better quarterback. They also have a quarterback who has been inconsistent, uh, an offensive coordinator who was fired last year, uh, for not doing things in a manner, uh, that suited his head coach. And he's still in an offense that is overseen by a head coach who seems to be very antiquated, uh, in terms of the way that he wants to run his offense. Uh, so this offense could be, you know, just again, not very good. And Fournette could continue to be pretty ineffective. And eventually, uh, ineffectiveness tends to lead to diminished volume. So I think there are pretty significant risk with Leonard Fournette. Um, that said, he obviously has a really high ceiling because if his offense does improve and he continues to see his high volume and his efficiency improves, like 
he could have 1600 yards and 16 touchdowns like that is within his range of outcomes so it just depends on how you want to shoot for for it like whether you're looking to avoid a risky player or whether you're fine with embracing that risk and shooting for his upside I think he should be ranked pretty much exactly where he's being drafted around like running back 14. Yeah, the more I've thought about this, the more that I have come to the conclusion with Fournette, I'm just fine with him where he is because with where he's going, the potential and the anticipated opportunity is there. And as you said, there's some upside. So I'm inclined to agree with you. I started off the season a little bit more down on him maybe than I should have been, but I think you could do a lot worse. Um, a lot worse than Fournette uh, grabbing the 14th running back off of the board. Um, What do you think of his presumed backup, Raquel Armstead? Yeah, so one is that I don't know. And it's funny, we talked about Armstead, I believe, after the combine where he had a a pretty good speed score. Um, And I was like, eh, I don't know. I still don't know because he's not much of a pass catcher. Um, he played at a small school and he was drafted in, what was it like the fifth round, the sixth round? Like he's a, he's a late round guy. Um, so like there are reasons just to be, you know, somewhat minimalistically optimistic about him. Um, he is a good runner, but I don't even know if he's the backup. Like Alfred Blue has made a career of being a very mediocre backup, um, I think he's the backup. I think Blue is is the guy who's going to uh, get some fairly regular usage as a change of pace back. Like that's just what he's done for his entire career. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. And I think that Armstead is one of those players that kind of becomes that popular guy because there's a couple of things that you can point to in his profile that give him some promise uh, and then you have him going into a team where it feels like there's a situation where he could find a role and as a result there's kind of this interesting mix of hype for him I know he's a player that some of the guys at Rotovis feel good about uh, but the reality is is this is probably not the year if there ever is a year for him that things are going to come to a head um, and like you said he may not even be the backup I also want to get your take on Aaron Rodgers. I know we've talked about the Packers a couple of times throughout the uh, offseason so far, particularly talking about how you really shouldn't be making the assumption now that any player in the Packers offense is going to be strong simply because they are in the Packers offense playing with Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers had for himself a bit of a down fantasy year last year. At least it felt like. However, though, he actually had 19 and a half points per game, which was better than the pace he was on in the seven games in 2017 and actually better than the uh, 2015 season in which he put up 18.8, 2013, 18.8 again. So in comparison to some Roger seasons, it just wasn't uh, as bad as it may feel. Some of that was there were more quarterbacks scoring more points last season. And he also went over 4,400 yards, only through 25 touchdowns, though, which did depress his numbers somewhat. So perhaps not as bad of a season as people might be remembering. But my question for you is, with Mike McCarthy gone, a new coaching staff in town, 
Can this offense get reinvigorated? Are we going to see Rodgers become what feels like not only an elite quarterback option, but an elite fantasy player altogether uh, again this year? It's obviously possible. I think the big question, so I mean, there are several big questions, but one has to do with the coach, Matt LaFleur. It's really hard to know what we should expect from him. Um, Last year, he was the coordinator for a very run-heavy offense, but um, you know, I think he did kind of have the mandate from his defensive-minded head coach to have more of a run-focused attack. Um, and we should also remember that his quarterback, Marcus Mariota, had a nerve issue in his elbow that I believe popped up in the first week of the season. Uh, and so he was really dealing with a, a quarterback who couldn't do a lot of what they probably wanted him to do for the majority of the season. Um, but we should also keep in mind, uh, he made, well, it's hard to say he made Blaine Gabbert look good, but like Blaine Gabbert within that offense was a somewhat serviceable quarterback, which I think probably speaks well of Matt LaFleur. Uh, and then it's worth keeping in mind that Matt LaFleur, the three offenses he was associated with before that, the 2017 Rams, and then the 2015 and 16 Atlanta Falcons, all of those teams were uh, fairly pass heavy. Um, I think we probably should expect to see, given that Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the league um, and historically on his own has been a pass heavy quarterback um, or is at least run a pass heavy system. I think we should expect to see a system that is fairly pass heavy. So that's what I'm, I'm projecting. And given that um, I think it's probably fair to assume as long as Rodgers has something close to the efficiency he's exhibited over the past four to five years, um, as long as he has that, uh, yeah, I think he'll probably be a top five fantasy quarterback. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, And I think one of the things to consider is he doesn't even necessarily need LaFleur to be an upgrade. The offense could maybe even take a step back, but he could still finish in that range. Um, Some of the comments I've heard that would maybe be a cause for concern related to LaFleur are when he was with the Rams, he was not uh, actually calling the plays. That was more McVay. And then there may have been a mismanagement last year with Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry that it took a very long time for him to really start relying heavily on Derrick Henry. But I don't know if those are things that you should necessarily take from one situation that he was in and say because of those uh, perhaps missteps, there you can project massive problems for him in Green Bay or rule out the fact that he may be a good um, fit for the team. I think he's certainly going to be better than Mike McCarthy. So I think at the very least, we should see some improvement from Rodgers, which like you said, does position him fairly well. If you look at the rest of the team, though, do you think that um, Rodgers being a stronger passer in 2019 allows for uh, players in the passing game that are not Devontae Adams to really assert themselves as weekly plays this season? Because I'm not too sure about that. Yeah, I think that just depends on how much of the market share you think one of those other guys is going to grab. So will Geronimo Allison or will Marquez Valdez-Scantling assert himself as the clear number two and kind of push the other guy to the side? 
right now I have uh, Allison and MVS both. I mean, not like co wide receiver two and wide receiver three. Um, I have Allison uh, slightly favored, but like uh, other people have MVS favored, and I think they're going to end up kind of cannibalizing a lot of each other's production. So, uh, yeah, it really just depends if one of those guys can break out. I'm on Allison a little bit more just because I think uh, when we've seen him with Aaron Rodgers and when he's been, you know, like a full-time wide receiver, he's actually been pretty productive. So he's the guy I would tend to tend yeah, to go actually, with. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I was gonna say I think that if you start looking through the numbers, uh, Rodgers, his efficiency with Allison has been. I think like maybe better than with any other receiver in the last, uh, you know, maybe three or four seasons. I'm not exactly sure of that. I just know I, I remember from looking through things last season, especially on a weekly um, basis and then comparing against what he was doing with Allison that uh, they seem to to mesh well together pretty well outside of, of Valdez Scantling and Allison. I'm still holding out hope that maybe somehow Jimmy Graham can find his way into like 10 touchdowns this season with a little bit different of an approach uh, for the team on offense. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be pretty aggressive, uh, from, you know, 10 touchdowns, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to remember where I have him ranked exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I actually have him ranked number seven among tight ends, um, which is, is probably aggressive and I do have him projected right now for a little over six and a half touchdowns. And like that just, I'll be honest, that feels high to me, but uh, I think it is possible for him to, to have some touchdown uh, progression, uh, you know, based on how many times he was targeted and the yards he got last year, he should have had more touchdowns. Yeah, that that's fair. So we've talked about the Packers a couple times so far, but I still think they're one of the more interesting teams. Now, Matt, I made a mistake when I sent the show sheet here because I meant to white out these answers because I wanted to quiz you. <laughs> um, unless I'm just seeing them on my end, but I'm pretty sure you can see yeah, them, I can right? See them. Oh, all right. So we'll read them off. These really have nothing to do with 2019, but I was looking through some numbers and I found these interesting. So I will share them. Uh I looked at the players from 2000 to 2018 that recorded the most weekly top five finishes at their position at tight end. Unsurprisingly, Tony Gonzalez at 96 Antonio Gates was the second behind him at 81. So that is, that is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I would have thought that maybe Gronk would be in there, but um, he missed a lot of games and played only nine years, maybe 10 years, maybe. Yeah. Nine, eight, nine. I don't know. But uh, yeah, like relative nine. to uh, like Tony Gonzalez and, and Gates who seemingly have played forever. Um, I mean, one thing that you'll see when we go through this list, like these are guys who basically have finished careers, um, which makes sense given the time frame. Yeah, exactly. If you were to look at um, players that are currently playing at tight end position, Jason Witten would be the highest. But, yeah. you know, uh, that's not not a surprise given the length of his career uh, behind him. It is Travis Kelsey at quarterback. Drew Brees with 80, uh, followed up by Peyton Manning at 79. So Brees still sitting atop the list. Then at running back, LT at 52. Adrian Peterson, the next running back at 39. Man, LT was just ridiculous. Uh, can Peterson add 
to this total of 39 this year, though. Can he? I mean, yeah, all it takes is one game where he has 100 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, that, that'll do it. Uh, yep. All right. So let me ask. Let me. Yeah, I, I'm aware of that. Let me ask you this differently. Will he add four more weeks to this? No, of course not. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, right? no, not four. Yeah, I wouldn't go with four. All right. Different question. How many, what would you set the over under at for Washington Redskins running backs that have a weekly finish in the top five? How many guys have one weekly finish this year in the top five? Um, with, with the Washington yeah, any, Redskins. Any Redskins running yeah. back. Uh, yep. It can yeah. be, so it can be Thompson. It could be Geis. It could be Peterson. If, if Bryce Love can somehow play, yeah. it could be him. Um, uh, one and a half. Yeah, I think that's what I'd set it at too. That is pretty bleak. I mean, well, it's not it's not that bleak. I mean, um, I think it might almost be weirder if all three of them get there. You know what I mean? Well, I, um, I think it's bleak just in terms of that offense as a whole. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really hard offense to project right now um, because you you don't have a strong sense of who's going to be starting a quarterback and how long he's going to be starting. Uh, and then with the running back split, it's hard to know what's happening with Darius guys in his knee. Uh, if he's healthy, it's still hard to know how much of the running back usage is going to go to Peterson and then their wide receiver unit. You have no idea what is going on there. You know, like is Josh Doxson in his fourth year finally going to do something? Um, you know, it's just, it's hard to know. Yeah, I agree. I think they are probably the hardest team to make odds and ends of this year. Yeah. Uh, At wide receiver, Randy Moss with 39 weeks in the top five, followed up by Marvin Harrison at 37. Harrison, I think an easy player to maybe forget about, but uh, it's pretty impressive that Moss got to 39 and, and Harrison to 37 in a position where there's a lot more players vying for that spot each week. Um, but let's let's look towards something that's more useful for this season. Um, Court Smith recently published a really cool article um, that is called Minding the Gap. And it looks at the ADP disparity between running backs on the same teams. And you can use that to identify targets and fades. So definitely check that out as... He comes through with a bunch of really useful takeaways. So that's minding the gap. And it made me want to bring up Derrick Henry and Dion Lewis, who we just touched upon earlier. Let's not focus so much on the ADP. But if you were asked to consider the split that we're going to see from them, obviously, we would expect Dion Lewis to see usage in third down situations. But do you foresee him still getting work as a rusher, or is this really going to just be the the Derrick Henry ground and pound show? Um, I think I mean they're going to rely on Henry quite a bit. Um, but one of the yeah one of the real questions is um, well one how good is this offense going to be? Like, is it going to allow him sufficient goal line opportunities to score touchdowns? Uh, and then will he finally emerge as? anything in the passing game or should we expect him to get i don't know like 10 receptions this year 
So that is going to be a big factor in all of this. But I still think Deion Lewis is going to see, I don't know, like 30% of the team's rushing production or like at least rushing opportunities. And yeah, as you mentioned, I would expect him to be used fairly regularly in the passing game. So uh, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that Derrick Henry finishes like he has such high upside, but he could finish easily around like running back 20. And then we could see Deion Lewis finish as like running back 30 or running back 36, something like that. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. I definitely agree with that. I think that Lewis is a player I'm probably not going to go after proactively because I don't see him getting higher than maybe 170 or so fantasy points. He'll probably finish, I would say, between 140 to 165 would be the range I would put it at. Um, As far as Derrick Henry goes, though, I don't think that Lewis necessarily removes the possibility of Derrick Henry being a top 16 type of running back that will be more predicated in my opinion just upon how this offense actually functions if Mariota is back to form if the team can protect him and then how some of these new options that they have in the receiving game uh, if any of those players can step up maybe if you know AJ Brown can make an immediate impact or we see Corey Davis take another step forward Um, another backfield that I wanted to talk about is the Miami backfield which this year, you really have Kenyon Drake entrenched as the RB1 with Kalen Balazs behind him. Two-parter here. Do you think there's another player on this roster, perhaps Miles Gaskin? Or uh, I think there's a couple other guys there. They elude me right now, Kenneth Farrow, but no names that I really take serious. So it looks like it's Drake or Balazs. You think there's any chance that Balazs forces his way into enough of a share that he becomes a weekly option? Uh, Weekly option, probably not, um, unless Kenyon Drake suffers an injury or unless Balazs like really takes over the receiving workload. And that is possible because he was a good pass catching back in college. But um, I don't know. I think Drake is going to see a lot of usage. Um, I mean, okay, so this this feels like very deja vu-esque because uh, last <laughs> year, like I think I said Drake, like to me was a, a low-end running back one. And like, I'll just say, like, I think he probably, like he didn't have that production, but I think he basically was. He was just a running back, a low-end running back one with a coach who wouldn't give him the opportunities he deserved. Like he still had over a thousand scrimmage yards and uh, nine touchdowns. Um, And that was with a coach who was basically just an idiot in terms of how he decided to split the backfield workload. I think Drake is going to be used pretty heavily this year, uh, just in part because they don't have a a strong running back three and Balazs is 
even on his own, I think a pretty weak running back too. Um, and it's, you know, the last year of Drake's contract. I wouldn't be surprising to see them kind of run him into the ground a little bit. And he's a, a pretty good pass catching back. Um, and I think they're going to be playing from behind quite a bit. So I could see him getting a decent share of receiving opportunities. So basically bottom line, like I haven't projected for, uh, way more yards than I probably should. Not all that many touchdowns. Cause I don't think his team is going to score a lot of touchdowns, but enough touchdowns to where it's like, yeah, like I think he has a pretty decent chance of actually being a, uh, let me see where I have him ranked. This is, it's probably going to be embarrassing, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have him just outside of the, nope, actually. Yeah. I have him as my number 10 running back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I know, I know oh, I'm high I on him. Love it. Like I, I know I am and I'm, I'm fine being high on him. Like I think he's a pretty good player. I think that this might be a case where we start trying to project things in the beginning of the season and you end up there just as a function of the numbers and not actually the feeling that you have about the player, perhaps. doesn't That doesn't mean that it's wrong, but if we kind of flip this the other way and say, what would it take for him to get to a top 10 finish what are what how would i phrase this in his range of outcomes how many times do you think that he really does get the opportunity that's required to finish as a top 10 running back do you think that happens more than 50% of the time less where how would you quantify that i don't know i mean i'm i'm putting it um I mean, I guess I would say like around 50% of the time. I mean, I'll say like I'm probably high on him, but I'm thinking about how many plays this team is likely to run, what their pass run split is likely to be, his target market share, his rushing market share. Like, I mean, this is a very numbers-based approach because if you think, is Kenyon Drake a a top 10 running back or is he the number 10 running back? Like the answer is no. But who else on that team is going to get usage? Like, there's only so much I can reasonably give to Kalen Balaj. You know, like, God help me if I actually think, oh, I'm going to give a significant chunk of this backfield work to Miles Gaskin. You know, like, by by default, <laughs> it kind of has to be Drake. Agreed. Unless, of course, we have a situation where a player gets cut from another roster and uh, ends up going into Miami and then siphoning off some of that workload, uh, which is which is another possibility. I can very realistically see how we get to there for Drake when doing a projection, but um, as, as you probably won't be surprised to find, I think that's a little too yeah, high. Yeah, I mean, I admit that it, it feels high, it seems high, but like when I saw how high it was, I still tried to adjust it down. I mean, reasonably, what do you think is yep. the yards per attempt we could expect from him? You know, he's been... He, I'd probably set it at four. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'd probably set his yards per attempt maybe around like four. Yeah, he's been at 5.4, 4.8, and 4.5 in his three seasons. Like, you okay. have to set okay. it above four. You know, like maybe, maybe yeah. you set it at 4.2 or like whatever it is, but it has to be above four. And then like, what is the number of carries you think he's going to get? Like, keep in mind, there's no Frank Gore there anymore. 
And like, how many carries do you think Kalen Balaj realistically could be expected to get? You know, so like, how many carries do you think Kenyon Drake is going to get? Like, at a minimum, 180? Well, all right. So, yeah, I'll give you that at a minimum, 180. Probably throwing a very uh, cursory guess out there. I could give him 205, 210. Okay, that's I have him. I guess, yeah. And then actually, it's 73 targets last year. You add in some... You know, it it yeah, it, it might not be as crazy as it seems once you actually sit down yeah, and look okay, at so, it. Yeah, okay, so which I can appreciate. Okay, so I haven't projected for okay, exactly ahead. you said 205, 210. I haven't projected for 204.5. Okay, and then yeah, you said um projected him for 70 or he had 73 last year. I haven't projected for a little under 80. Like that might be steep, but He's, I think, one of the best pass catching options on that team. Um, so even if we, even okay, if so we cut that down th- a little bit, you know, I mean, I think we're looking at a guy who pretty easily could have a, Lar- a Lamar Miller esque, like twelve hundred yards from scrimmage, and I think that could easily bump up to fourteen hundred. And then let's say he he gets yeah. maybe six touchdowns, but that could go up to ten. Okay, that's what I was going to get to. I was going to say, I, th- I think then that I can get on board with all of that, that the variable is going to be the touchdowns. Um, okay. Eh. I, I don't know. I, I can see it. Um, okay, so here's here's the one thing to, to kind of put a bow on this. I admit that yep. ranking him number 10 overall is high. The good thing is we don't need to take him there in order to have the benefit of that potential range of outcome you know what i mean like you can still draft him well said much lower than that and have a shot at that upside yeah that's very fair um yeah and when you put it in that context it brings us to the the final question here that i will ask you currently he's going as the rb22 um with an adp of 46 so he's still there in the fourth round considering what you just said how interested are you in taking him as a fourth round i mean i'm pretty interested in it yeah i mean i i'm i'm (laughs) interested all right the enthusiasm uh for Kenyon drake is is pretty high uh is i can't imagine it's anywhere near though the kyler murray enthusiasm uh no of course not Okay. All right. Well, we know where Matt stands on Kenyon Drake. I'm glad that uh, we we have established that. Quick reminder that you can get a listener's only 10% discount to Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content. And of course, it supports the pod. Uh, we still have an NFL Pass to give away. All you need to do to enter is to subscribe to and rate the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Hit that rate button, and in doing so, you gain an entry to our giveaway. Each podcast that you rate and review, so you can do all of the different shows that we have, will count as an entry. Obviously, the more reviews you do, the more chances you have to win. And the other cool thing is, even if you are a current subscriber and you win, you will still get something as we will add an additional year to your current sub. And another exciting thing to note is that uh, Rotoviz Patreon is back. 
Last season, we did a live show, but we've kind of extended things this year. Instead, we are doing a Rotoviz Radio Slack channel. So you will have access to a number of the guys that are on the Rotoviz Radio channel, as well as some of the writers that just wanted to pop in and join in those conversations. So you'll have really in many regards, unlimited access to a lot of the uh, Rotoviz Radio team. And of course, it helps support the shows and uh, keep things running on the network. So that's going to do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out Rotoviz, and you can email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not fantasy if you believe. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.